0: Because real power comes from here and it comes from family.
1: If you would like us to post you a free CD.
2: Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly.
1: It's a people's voice committed to human and civil
2: rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media want. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements.
1: It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us.
0: Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, on the line today is myself, Jacob, and Megan.
3: Good morning, everyone.
0: All right. So, we have a pretty packed program. Um, actually, do you want to announce what's coming up,
3: Megan? Ah. Uh- I well we have um, a couple of interviews uh, so the first one um, what did we have? yeah so we have Jerem um, who's blockade going to be talking I-mark. about yeah blockade IMARC which is coming up in a very important um, uh, event on the activist calendar um, we also have um, Bruce Shillingsworth who is going to be talking about uh, the Water for Rivers project uh, and um, just about the dire situation uh, in m- many rivers uh, in New South Wales so yeah there's quite a lot coming up. um, We're going to talk about a whole bunch of different events that are happening around the world and here in Australia. And as usual, there's always so much happening and so much to talk to to talk about. Yeah. So what do you have anything um, first up?
4: Um,
0: Well, the first thing, um, I guess there's wanted to give a kind of full kind of Debrief actually a bit on the Weaker Rebellion that happened, um, last week, um, organised by Extinction Rebellion. And, um, I did talk about it briefly last Friday because during that time it was still on. Um, but now I've had a bit of time to sort of think a bit back to it. Um, no, actually, thought it was overall a really good week of environmental activism. Um, the fact is, when we look back at it, um, it attract, probably attracted over 5,000 people across the week. Um, because the kind of, um, vibe of it was that there was an action organized every day and each action probably had an odd 300 to 500 people at each action, um, and there were some actions that were kind of split in two, where there, was, so there were two actions happening simultaneously. Um, a lot of the actions involved kind of, you know, disruptive kind of actions that involved blocking intersections, um, and then there were some actions that were that made it that had a number of targets. For example, the student swarm had a bit of a, um, had a target um, had a protest outside the Department of Human. Affairs, bringing attention to their sort of to the issue of refugees and how it intersects with climate change, um, and then we also had uh, the protests that happened during our program last Friday, um, action outside the BHP office. Um, so yeah, overall, of course, it was all anchored by a protest camp, which I thought was quite um a bit of a novelty, um, following kind of the tradition of Occupy Melbourne, um which had a which had a um, was anchored by a protest camp. And then at this camp, which was in Carlton Gardens, it's actually just nearby here, um, you know, they held various kind of workshops of uh, discussions and outreach tent where, you know, past buyers found out what Extinction Rebellion stood for. And then there was also, they held people's assemblies, um, which is sort of like group kind of discussions around different topics. I guess one of the limitations of that is they didn't seem to have much in the way of decision-making or anything that sort of linked towards decided the political direction of Extinction Rebellion, even though a lot of the discussions leaned heavily towards that um, direction. And, yeah, overall, I thought it was a good week. And... um, the weaker rebellion is still continuing in, rebe- um, in the UK, which is going for the full two weeks. Um, and in fact, there's disruptive actions pretty much every day. Every time I look at the Guardian, there's always some news article about Extinction Rebellion. And it kind of, of course, the same kind of experience was kind of felt here in Melbourne, Australia, where there was a news article every day about Extinction Rebellion. news article <laughs> every
3: day from different outlets. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I thought one of the interesting things was. Um, in the mainstream media, uh, especially the corporate media, um, because of the nature of Extinction Rebellion, the nature of Extinction Rebellion is that they believe that we need to do mass kind of disruptive uh, non-violent direct action um, in order to get people to kind of wake up and or get the government to realise the severity of the climate crisis and act accordingly. Now, what was interesting was a lot of the mainstream media um, tried to kind of, interview various kind of people um, who are past buyers um, to these protests, trying to find negative comments. Um, and they, interesting enough, had a bit of a big struggle trying to um, find that, especially on the Sunday action. I noticed where the media went from people's houses, um, I mean, people marching for the street, like how, how inconvenienced can someone be if they're you know just having a good sunday afternoon uh and then mm. they were interviewing this um guy and he basically yeah he basically came out in support of all the protests and said, you yeah, know the government hasn't been acting, et cetera, so they basically failed at you know actually addressing you know actually um finding anyone.
3: And there was also an an Age um, poll. So the Age had some very unsympathetic titles saying something like, you know, protesters caused massive inconvenience, you know, people furious. And then they had a poll, you know, (coughs) to support Extinction Rebellion. And I think it ended up being about an 88% in favour of Extinction Rebellion and their activities. So (laughs) the the title didn't really match, um, you know, uh, the actual sentiment of the public. And also, you know, just being a part of those activities, I also found that there was a lot of uh, sympathy uh, for the actions because people do realize that we are not doing anything well the government is not doing anything at all we have a situation where um, you know the the uh, liberal and uh, national coalition uh we, we they're not they're doing less than nothing they're still uh, you know uh Basically addicted to coal and oil and um, and gas because we know that they're in the pockets of large uh, corporations and and um, you know coal barons etc. Um, but the, an interesting there's been a couple of interesting um, uh, updates. Uh, so uh, we have had the Labor Party declare a climate emergency. Uh, now, I mean, I call me a cynic, but you can declare a climate emergency as much as you like, but what are you actually doing to stop that climate emergency that you've just acknowledged? And we have not heard anything um, from Labor about what they would do, uh, you know, about anything like uh, stopping, uh, say, the Adani Carmichael coal mine um, that, um, you know, that has been uh, approved by the state Labor government. And... You know, these sorts of things, you have to have it backed up with action. You can't just sit, simply simply sit there and say we declare a climate emergency uh, and not do anything. But there's also been um, a disturbing, uh, a couple of disturbing um, updates. So in Queensland, uh, they have banned, the government's actually banned... Yeah, okay. um, Banned Extinction Rebellion from libraries, from meeting at libraries. They cannot have group meetings at libraries. Uh, in London, any
0: kind—it of, it refers to any kind of local Brisbane City Council venue, which oh, would okay, which li- libraries, which encompasses libraries because yeah. all libraries are. So own. it's
3: it's more it's wider than that. Um, but then <sighs> there's also been the problem of um, in uh, London uh, now Extinction Rebellion has been banned from um, gathering in London and doing any kinds of actions in London. Uh, the mayor of and Sadiq Khan has actually said, look, Extinction Rebellion, you should ignore, ignore this, ignore what the police say and continue to do what they, what you're doing. Uh, Greta Thunberg has actually weighed into it as well and said, um, you know, if fighting for injustice is, um, you know, is made illegal, we must continue to fight for that injustice. So, yeah, some very interesting uh, updates. And it really does appear that... You know, in with extinction rebellion, what they're trying to do, you know, what the powers that be that try, are trying to do, is curb the power to to yell and and bring up this this climate crisis that we have, rather than actually doing something about the climate crisis. It's just, it's shoot the messenger basically.
0: Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely. I think. Um The climate movement is definitely going in all sorts of um, directions with all sorts of Mm. political activities. Yeah, from the growth and the reaction
3: of the reaction to it is very interesting from the government. I mean, well, more Queensland. (laughs) I think
0: Queensland is probably more specifically the most interesting one because Mm. there you had. I've you know I've said this before on I think the program several times, but you when you look at the federal election kind of result. um, There's this narrative that the government is pushing that you know you. The people, the ordinary people or ordinary battlers of, um, Queensland don't Mm -hmm. want action on climate change. I mean, there's a certain element where, you know, there's a certain element of support for Adani for, um, for, in, within coal communities. Mm. But there's a clear, but clearly, um, the Queensland's government is not interested in hearing any kind of alternative narrative hence why they're actively repressing any form of protest Mm -hmm. that puts forward such an alternative um, narrative. It's Um,
3: extremely important for them to make sure that their financial interests are um, you know, kept uh, upheld and they do not want to get rid of the Adani Carmichael Carmichael coal mine. They don't want to do that, even though uh, about approximately $4.4 billion of welfare, corporate welfare, is going to be pumped into that mine. And in the end, it's going to hire about... A hundred people, no more. So, yeah, very interesting. We knew that this was going to happen. We didn't think that they were going to roll over and and give up without a fight. You know, we didn't think that we were going to get significant action without some kind of fight. But, it is. It's very interesting times, definitely. Yeah. All
0: right. We might play a quick few announcements, um, and then we might um, go into our first interview.
5: For 45 years, Friends of the Earth has been mobilising communities to resist the destructive industries like coal, gas, nuclear, and to transform our world into somewhere better. Come celebrate with us as we celebrate 45 years of creative resistance. 25th of October at the Gasometer, doors open at 8pm with a welcome to country at 9pm. The line-up includes Alicia Joy, Hello Tut Tut, Mortisville, Claddy, And more. You know it'll be fun because it's Friends of the Earth. See you there. You can get tickets online or at our famous food co-op at 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Friends of the Earth are a proud supporter of 3CR.
0: You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, it is 7.12am, and I'm thinking for the next three minutes we will um, play a quick song, um, just to give people a bit of a breather for this morning before our first interview. Um, This I just found this on the dinner set, um, Winter Sun, Sun by Lucy Wise.
3: a 3CR supporter.
0: Right. Good morning listeners, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, um, on the line we have Jerm Small, um, who is an activist who is involved with Blockade IMARC, and was also previously an activist involved with the S11 Blockade, which is um, one of the protests that um, Blockade IMARC is attempting to kind of recreate this year, um, so good morning Jerm. Good
7: morning Jacob, and good morning listeners.
0: And Megan as well. Oh, Megan, yeah, Megan. Hey, yeah. how you?
3: Hello, how are you? <laughs>
0: yeah, Megan <laughs> Good, just
1: took the mic. Um,
0: now, um, guess the first question, kind of ask. I mean, listeners have probably heard a bit about blockade iMark, but can can you give us a bit on, I guess, a bit of a brief on where kind of blockade, the organising of blockade and imark is up to, and like, you know, what's kind of the current plans at this stage.
7: Yeah, well, it's look, it's coming along. It's obviously a huge project. Our mark itself is a massive conference, something like, I don't know, they claim 6,000, 7,000 mining company executives, merchant bankers, spin doctors, um, you know, all those sort of types, greenwashers all coming along. So, and there's people has been to the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre, you'd realise what a vast um, uh, venue it is. So, When we say blockade, that's that's a hell of an ask. Um, I've got to say, it's looking okay, I reckon. Um, We're, like, you know, if you judge these things by Facebook, we're over a thousand now and seem to have a bit of momentum. Word seems to be around that, um, uh, you know, there's a mass civil disobedience event happening at this gathering of climate criminals um, and so on. Um, and it's starting to shape up. We're getting a few performers and different groups, artists and so on contacting us saying, you know, what can we do to help out? How can we, um, you know, keep a bit of, um, spark and, uh, vibrancy on the blockade lines? Um, yeah, a couple of people from Interstate are getting in touch. Um, yeah, it all seems to be coming together. Obviously, we've got a bit of a lift out of just a sequence of events with the school strike and then Extinction Rebellion putting, um, you know, civil disobedience to do with climate change on the map. So, Well, you know, we've still got more than a week to go, so we'll be uh, working pretty much flat out to keep on building momentum. And who knows what will actually happen um, during the blockade. Um, You know, it's pretty uncertain exactly how many people we'll get and how effective our blockade can be. But I think one thing, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, it will not be business as usual. When those $1,000 suits step off their Collins Street tram expecting to do their million or billion-dollar deals, Usually they do that at these conferences without a care in the world. Um, and this time there will be, you know, hundreds, if not, you know, a thousand or more people, um, protesting outside, linking their arms, raising our voices and saying, come on, like enough is enough. We've got to, we've got to start this shift now. We can't just keep. You know, we can't just keep on with this, you know, making money while the planet burns and greenwashing ourselves, which is what these corporations are doing. Mm. So yeah. it's a bit of a rambling. Can you tell know, us, you
0: us a bit about some of these some of these corporate criminals that are going to be yeah, at, at, at the going? conference?
7: Yeah, well, altogether, like if you add up. Uh, 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 Look, the, the, the two biggest components of the, the companies there, I suppose, in terms of mining companies anyway, are big coal and gold mining. And big coal, you've got, well, um, you've got Rio Tinto. Who, if you look at that, there's a very famous list of the the hundred or so corporate entities, or a hundred corporate entities, which um, are, you know have been the source of more than seventy percent of global emissions uh, since 1988. There's two Australian headquarters, uh, headquartered companies on that list, BHP and Rio Tinto, and they're both coming to this conference. You've got Anglo-American, you've got Glencore, uh, global coal players, you've got, um, um, uh, Yang Coal, which is a subsidiary of one of the, the big Chinese, uh, state-owned enterprises, which takes that number one on the, um, the list of a hundred. So you add all of that together, You've got something like 18% of global emissions since 1988 represented at this one conference. So it's an extremely significant uh, gathering of, you know, the, the companies that profit from um, fueling climate change. The other probably biggest component of the mining companies there, um, and there's all sorts of mining companies, but gold miners. Um So you've got companies like Newcrest, which... It's just amazing. They've got this panel because they like to pretend, oh, you know, the bad old days are behind us, you know. It's all sensitive New Age mining now. Um, You know, we respect Indigenous people. We, you know, we care about the environment and so on. Then you look at who they've got on their panel for corporate social responsibility. You've got a company, Oceana Gold, um, which, you know, their main claim to fame was when they sued the El Salvadorian government for something like 300 million bucks. Um, because the El Salvadorian government blocked a gold mine um, a few years back. Now, you know, the company ended up losing that, um, but that's the sort of company they are. Their operations, actually, a gold operations in the Philippines, um, were actually um, like there was a series of people's barricades put up by local people um, uh, to stop their Didipio gold mine um, from producing back in July. Um, and that was on the grounds of, you know, repeated findings of labor law violations, of, uh, pollution of local waterways, despoiling of local land, um, and so on until the local people basically decided, look, you know, um, we can't have this anymore. And, uh, they, you know, put their bodies on the line and, and basically stopped the mine from happening. That's, Oceania Gold is one of the, you know, by having them on this panel, IMARC is saying, well, OK, this is like a, a case study in, in how you can secure a social licence to operate, as a term that they use. You add to that uh, Newcrest Mining, which twice has used the uh, mobile brigades, the notorious armed thugs of the Indonesian police force, to kill Indigenous protesters at the Togarachi Mine in 2004 and 2013. Uh, BHP, at least the BHP Foundation, is on the, um, the social licence to operate panel. They're the people who are not only Australia's biggest coal company, but also operate the world's tenth biggest um open cut mine in Carajon, um, which is in Colombia, which is notorious for human rights violations, for disappearance mm. of indigenous people, uh labour uh, labor activists and so on. Um, like if these are the people that the company are putting up as um, you know, models of how the mining industry should secure what they call a social licence to operate that tells you a lot about the state of the mining industry generally um, and what's going on at this conference. So I think, you know, a lot of people feel pretty justified in, um, in protesting against uh, this mining conference and, in fact, in linking arms and doing our very best to uh, to shut down this mining conference coming up um, mm-hmm. at the end of October.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the... Um, I've Just on that, on the question of kind of mining, um, I'm kind of a bit keen to hear in hearing kind of your response because it gets the most right, the most common kind of right wing argument you'll kind of hear, um, against blockading this conference is um you know the the classic oh don't you rely doesn't you doesn't your phone rely on yeah, some kind of mining need, don't you less, need less product, mining etc et yeah. and I guess in terms of like and you can link this I guess in terms of what kind of blockade I mark is sort of the narrative the counter narrative we're going to be kind of pushing as part of this blockade you know how would you respond to kind of that kind of right wing sort of response
7: well I'd say um Like, you know, I mean, human beings have have mined minerals for a hell of a long time. That's not to say, and, you know, definitely, um, you know, we use all sorts of resources which are um, taken from the earth. But that's not to say that the only model of mining or um, development for that matter that we've got or that is possible is one where the local people are left impoverished, the workers are left with uh, diseases like black lung, um, and where... The atmosphere is heating up to the extent where rains fail and the earth burns. Like, are these people really saying that that's the best that we can get? If it's not, well, what are people like Hugh Morgan doing on the panel? One of the world's most, one of Australia's most famous climate change deniers. And he's on a panel on Tuesday morning, you know, um, when the conference opens, chairing the whole thing. So, um, I think the mining industry has a hell of a lot of work to do in terms of, um, well, I think we have a hell of a lot of work to do in terms of disciplining um the 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 mining industry and putting forward a model that is based on genuine development um rather than uh, sort of one sided plunder and the sort of theft of land divide and rule and all the rest of it that goes with the mining industry. I don't buy the argument that um you know we have to walk around dressed in hash and sacks um just because we think that mining um as a is currently organised, you know, solely on the basis of profit, um, is an industry based on unsustainable practices and, and widespread plunder. I, I just don't buy that argument.
8: Hmm. No. Yeah.
0: Um So the last question is, um, for listeners who are listening, how can, how can they get involved in um, being part of Blockade or and um helping build it in the lead-up?
7: Yeah, cool, okay. Well, I suppose three things. Uh, like, first of all, come along yourselves and, um, and, and tell your mates. So, the event goes from, uh, the Monday, uh, the 28th of October to, uh, Thursday the 31st. The Monday is like a, it's like a day of conference workshops. It's not the full conference as far as IMARC is concerned, but nevertheless, we'll you know blockade IMARC will be kicking off. We'll be outside the conference venue. Um, there'll be all sorts of different activities going on. Um, you know, some more disruptive than others. But Tuesday, the 29th, is when the full IMARC uh, conference begins, and that's when our uh, mass blockade begins. So from 6 a.m. that morning, we'll be gathering outside and doing our very best to link arms and raise our voices. So first of all, come along. Second of all, tell your mates. Contact the, um, the page. Like you can uh, either go to the website, blockadeimark.com or uh, check us out on Facebook and just message the page. We've got stacks of posters, stacks of leaflets. We've got a bunch of activities over the next week um, to, uh, to help promote the thing. Um, and there's also the open organizing meeting which is happening this Sunday. So that's uh, 2 p.m. at RMIT. Uh, building 80 in Swanston Street, just near the Oxford Scholar. Um, I think we're level 9, room 12. But anyway, it's on the, there's an event on the, um, the Facebook page. So, um, if you've got questions, if you want to be involved, um, definitely come along to that, um, organising meeting. And there's a bunch of other events in the lead up to, um, to the uh, blockade itself. So check out our Facebook page.
4: Yeah. Alright. Thank you very much Thank for that, Thank you Jerome. so much, Jerome.
7: Cheers, Megan. Cheers, Jacob. And, um, yeah. Thanks to 3CR once again.
3: Excellent. We'll see you there.
7: Yep. See you there. Good one. Cheers. There then.
0: All right, That was um, Jerem Small from Blockade IMark, um, telling us about which is going to be happening from the twenty. 20- Oh, I can see the dates there, from the 28th of October to um, the 31st. And it's going to be, I guess, I've been sort of advertising it at um, rallies as the next big climate-related mm. protest. Um,
3: it definitely has S11 vibes to it, definitely. Yeah, unfortunately, my yeah. personal
0: views, I don't think it's going to be as big as Cess 11 but we'll hope, we'll hope we will can make okay. it as big as...
3: it's going to be big in spirit, but uh, honestly, Jerome's right, we have to stop what we're doing now with these, or what the, the mining companies are doing now with all of their pollution and their terrible human rights records, etc. Uh, we have to do something. Yeah,
0: and I think hopefully we can have... Um, there's, a, there's a lot of potential, I think, in here that, you know, if we... If we can make this one big, um, we can hopefully make next year even bigger to the point where yeah, we can keep blockading it every year. Keep going and then they'll magician. they might even reconsider whether they'll hold it in Melbourne. Maybe they'll start to they'll yeah. start to hold it in some remote location in Canberra or something.
3: They've got the money to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I don't think I don't think their delegates or their attendees...
3: Oh, they won't like it at all. No. Yeah. But yeah. wow, minor convenience, yeah.
0: Ah. Alright, now I just wanted, I'll just just quickly play a quick announcement and then we'll move on to our next news stories
1: Red Alert Numbers are needed at the Japarang Heritage Protection Embassy Camps immediately Sacred birthing trees on Japarang Country need protecting Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old these trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty.
5: For 45 years, Friends of the Earth has been mobilising communities to resist the destructive industries like coal, gas, nuclear, and to transform our world into somewhere better. Come celebrate with us as we celebrate 45 years of creative resistance. 25th of October at the Gasometer. Doors open at 8pm with a welcome to country at 9pm. The lineup includes Alicia Joy, Hello Tut Tut, Mortisville, Claddy and more. You know it'll be fun because it's Friends of the Earth. See you there. You can get tickets online or at our famous food co-op at 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Friends of the Earth are a proud supporter of
8: 3CR.
0: Alright, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um it is seven thirty AM. And now I guess I want to talk a bit a bit about the latest developments I guess in Ecuador. <coughs> so essentially um this is to define repression, tens of thousands of Ecuadorians took part in a national strike um, on October 9th, which was called by a number of organisations against the neoliberal reforms of President Lenin Moreno. Tens of thousands of workers, students, indigenous people, peasants, Afro-descent people, women and citizens took over the streets of the capital, Korto. Um, the mobilisation was directed towards the city's historical centre, where the Kandulit Palace is located. The area continues to be heavily militarized and barricaded and protesters were met with heavy repression. And I guess in the midst of the strike, Moreno returned to the capital from Guayaquil, where he had temporarily shifted the seat of government to on October 7th as permitted by a state of the emergency. And he claimed um, that the primary focus of his um, return was to engage in dialogue with the mobilized organizations yet you know it, he, he has yet to meet their conditions although I think I've heard of recent development that he has actually pulled back from the IMF kind of economic kind of package
1: mm.
0: and, this-
3: the, and that's the central thing the IMF package which basically mm. uh, means that they need to impose austerity measures on workers who've already had austerity measures imposed on them for years and they're sick of the austerity and corruption. Option, so yeah
0: yeah so that's a bit of a kind of latest kind of development in um ecuador um and i think the protests are still going on but i guess there it seems that moreno is on the back foot right now um especially as a result of these big massive mobilizations that are happening in yeah, october the 8th huge. to 9th now right. the next um the next kind of Current development is um and this is obviously a bit complicated, just in a current update on the situation in northern Syria is Turkey is still continuing with its invasion, and in fact there's been reports um, kind of eyewitness kind of reports of you know use of we- um, qu- weapons etc and um, and so on. However, in a last kind of ditch attempt, um, by the Kurds, um, the Kurds in northern Syria, a kind of agreement with, um, um, the Assad government has been kind of reached in Syria, which basically guarantees some protection of, um, of the Kurds in northern Syria against Turkey. Um, but of course in exchange, um, northern Syria will have to secede you know, some of the parts of the land, um, from Assad, because I guess a bit of background is one of the reasons why, um, one of the reasons why this whole Rojava experiment has happened as implemented by the Kurds in northern Syria, this kind of democratic confederate kind of society, or ecological sort of, um, communalist kind of, um, society, um, has imp- was implemented was in the, in that kind of aftermath of the civil war um, and the invasion of ISIS from near the border, basically Syria was forced, um, Assad was forced to flee that particular area. And the only people that remained there were the Kurds, which is when they kind of set up this kind of communion kind of site. So basically, mm-hmm. this is a sort of way for Assad to get back some of the land and um, the region that he had sort of left um, for the Kurds to sort of um, develop their own kind of political project.
3: Yeah, and um, it's honestly, the Kurds have been put in such a difficult spot as they have been in the past, needing to make allies with people they don't particularly trust, uh, who don't have their interest um, at heart, etc., um, they really are put in a difficult situation, but they're used to this. I mean, there's the old Kurdish saying, no friends but the mountains. Um, but, I mean, we also have to have a discussion about um, Trump's absolutely ludicrous actions, um, you know, pulling out of um, out of Syria, pulling troops out of Syria, which even, uh, you know, the U.S. Army uh, has um, come out and criticised. Uh, but... Trump wrote a letter to Erdogan, and the contents of the letter are quite disturbing. Firstly, the structure of the letter, I I feel like it's been written by, you know, a primary school child. It is that bad. And we know that somebody in the White House, other than Trump, had eyes on this letter and have have probably edited out uh, a whole bunch of things. So this is the end result of that editing, and it has gone to him saying that, you know, uh, you know you don't you shouldn't uh do this uh you know I don't want to ruin turkey but I will uh, it is absolutely out there you can ha- check it out on um on the inter- internet it's uh it's there and it's really disturbing but we we have to acknowledge that Trump's actions have had a huge impact uh on the destabilization of this area and you know we've got to try and continue to call for Turkey to get out of Syria, to stop invading Syria, because it's, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I've tried to be eloquent about this, but I feel like we're in crazy times. This is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Turkey's a NATO country. Why is there not an outcry? Why is there not an international outcry with what they're doing?
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, it's, it's just uh, yeah it's kind of it's fairly typical and i think it's all it's also kind of obvious um that yeah the Kurds have no allies in terms no. of this process um and i mean essentially one the leaders of the p y d or oh, I think it was the P.O.D. or one of the leaders, and um, who was negotiating with the Assad government, basically said that it was either compromise or, or genocide.
3: Yeah, and we have to we have to bear that in mind. It's compromise or genocide. This is what these people are fighting for. Like they're just fo- literally fighting to exist.
0: Yeah, and so I guess some of the demands of the Kurdish people in that kind of particular region is for a no-fly um, zone to be implemented in their in, to be implemented in um their region, which would basically prevent Turkey from basically bombing um their people and then there's obviously the demand for Turkey to move out. And of course what are other things that are kind of happening as well in the midst of this is there's increased persecution and crackdown of um of the Kurds in Turkey, mm. um which has always been a kind of common thing, but it's kind of escalating even more in in terms of this current current period.
3: Yeah. There's also been, um, so I, I can't remember what her name was, the um, the politician who was taken out of her car and shot at point blank. Uh, there's also a Kurdish uh, journalist who was murdered along with his wife and young child. Uh, this this is all happening recently and as a result of this. And this is a sort of thing that uh, they have to put up with and they've constantly had to put up with as well. Hmm.
0: yeah all right now I guess I'll play a qu- quick announcement actually might might just change to actually just talking about u s politics just for a second um just mainly some interesting kind of developments that are kind of happening there so now um the the endorsements are starting to come out i guess for Bernie Sanders um which is good um so Alexander Ocato's Cortez and Ilan Omar have both endorsed a Bernie Sanders run for the presidential election. Um, and now the kind of campaign's trying to kick off now that it's getting very close to Mm. the primaries. So it'll be kind of interesting to, um, to see what happens there. Um, I guess especially in terms of I guess one of the the problems though just recently talking about the whole Kurdish situation is there's still a serious limitation with Bernie Sanders on his foreign policy and I guess there was a recent democratic debate and his kind of main criticism of Donald Trump on foreign policy was that he's making it hard for America to do foreign policy which I just think is the completely wrong way about it. Mm -hmm. I guess any kind of Left-wing candidate needs to actually reject the whole idea of America being being an imperialist mm-hmm. superpower and actually look, seeks to dismantle their actual foreign policy. Of course, pretty much every, um, pretty much every establishment power would prevent that, actively prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, there's definitely spaces opened for the left by the Bernie Sanders campaign because he is is specifically the only candidate that is talking about working-class resistance, um, despite his kind of limitations, I guess, on pluralism and the fact that even his brand of socialism isn't necessarily pushing as far as, say, social yeah. democracy, which I still think is probably in the context of United States politics, is something that's going to be a way forward. I mean, and it's pretty
3: amazing for the for the United States, which has traditionally been quite further to the right than a lot of other Western countries. Hmm. Um, but also, um, look, uh, to be honest, I I don't hold any hope. Um, I think the same thing is it's going to happen uh, with the last primaries. Uh, you know, they're pushing Warren very hard. I think they've sort of dropped Biden, the um, uh, powers that be in the Democratic uh, uh, Party. Um, they, they're not going to have... Bernie as, as their candidate. It's just end of story. It's going to be Warren, most likely, possibly Biden, although I think he's probably out of the... Like, really. Well, if
0: it's Biden, then they've pretty, the Derricates have pretty much lost the election to Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah,
3: absolutely. But maybe what they're doing is they're going, well, we just need to lose this because we cannot have Bernie Sanders up there as, as the presidential candidate. I yeah. do not think... I think they're going to start pushing hard for Warren, and I've seen it on the internet, um, you know, people who have... There's a program of pushing hard for her... Uh, Bernie is not going to get in. Um, I would love him to over Warren because I think he's a lot more progressive than she is, obviously. But it's just not going to happen. Yeah. I would be well, we'll to, surprised. Well, we'll have to see what happens then. Right, um, please prove me wrong. What, I would love you to prove me wrong, America. Because I
0: think really the, the basis of, I think, where US politics is at is it's going to be the kind of extra kind of, it's going to be the mobilizations and the and the actual campaigns on the ground. Like there's a there's this growing campaign. Um, do you really think the for,
3: Democratic Party has learned from what they did last time? Well, they're
0: not. There. I, don't I don't think, think they, they have. have. Because they're still the party of, of capital. Exactly. (laughs) So I think it's going to be in those kind of campaigns that's going to kind of push politics further to the left, and I think Bernie Sanders is a reflection of that, but even then, a lot of his campaign is limited by the fact it's all centred on him becoming president, Mm. um, which seems to be much more fruitless as time goes on. Now, I'll go. I guess I'll play uh, a few quick announcements and then we'll move on to our second interview with Bruce Chillingsworth.
8: Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA, but those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads, and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition, parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions and look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117.
3: A 3CR supporter. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses' Federation in Victoria. Throughout the Nurses' Dispute in 1986...
7: Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel a part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are, but I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it
0: were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed?
3: Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. All
1: right.
0: You're, okay, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. I'll just pass it on to Megan to make the introduction of our next uh, guest, Bruce Chillingsworth.
3: Yes, um, so we have um, Bruce Shillingsworth. He is um, on the line and he's going to be talking about um, the uh, Water for Rivers project. So we have a situation here in in New South Wales uh, um, in regards to the water, uh, the lack of water uh, flowing through our rivers. And it's a whole bunch of different reasons. But a lot of it is, you know, corporate greed and corruption and also um, from, uh, from the drought as well um so bruce has um organized a huge carobbery. um it was some 300 people uh, were traveling through well, western new south wales towns that have been really badly affected by the lack of water in the rivers uh, as part of the yama uh, gunna barker Carobbery festival tour um and bruce welcome to the show hello hello bruce can you give yeah, us a little bit of a background about yourself and about the Water for Rivers project?
4: Yeah, look, uh, my name's Bruce Shillings. I'm a Murawari budgeted man. I'm from a place called Bawarana, which is on the Darling River. The um, Yamagana Barker Festival was, very, was a great success. We've uh, visited five communities, Bolgat, Bree, Burke, and Menindi. We had a, a kaurabwee. Um, we had a, a good response back from community, community loved it, and um, they're wishing should have another
3: one next year. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned um, Walgett. I know that at least one of the, the towns, Walgett, compl- has completely run out of water as a result of the drying up of the river. How are they coping with a, a lack of running water, and what are the effects on the community?
4: Well, it has a big effect, especially on First Nation people. I mean, Walgut's been dry for a while now, and I think this this summer's going to be even worse. I mean, we've been trucking lo- truckloads of water out to these communities. I mean, Walgut is specific because um, Walgut is out of water, mm. and a lot of the people are, are suffering because of their ill. I mean, there's mental health problems. There's uh, people on dialysis that need to be moved from those communities. I mean, a lot of the people are now migrated to the bigger towns and cities. Um, there's a lack of food in those communities now. Um, people are suffering because of, um, like they say, there's lots of stuff around, around water, and water affects a lot of our people.
3: Absolutely, and water, water is life. And can you give us a, an update on the situation of the river? Why? So, what what are the reasons why uh, these rivers are running dry? You know, is it just the drought, or is it is it other factors at play here?
4: Look, over the Christmas break, I mean my uh, my mother lives out in that area. We've, we've walked the riverbeds of those uh, rivers, the Darling River, and she had never seen the river in, in in that condition in her lifetime. And she's in her 90s now. So there's something something drastically happening. And I think it's a lot of the holding back of our waters, a lot of the big corporate greeds are now um, controlling the water system. They are They control 70, 80% of the waters along the rivers. The big corporates now with their big farms, the big agriculture, the damming of the water is is creating the rivers not to flow anymore. And I believe that those dams should be, you know, letting those water loose, letting it go and fill those rivers back again.
3: Yeah, we're already seeing uh, fish kills this early in the season. Um, This is a very unnatural thing and it's only going to get worse um, what, sort of, uh, what sort of projects and, and um, how, how do you plan on getting the word out there? The corroboree was absolutely fantastic. It really helped to uh, promote the issue. Uh, you know, we, we hear a lot about um, a, a town in the US called Flint, Michigan that's also without water, but we don't seem to hear about Walgut, which is right in our own backyard. Um, these are the sorts of things that we have to promote. What else, what future activities are you looking at to help promote the issue?
4: Well, one of the main reasons why we created the Yamaganabaka Festival is to get non-indigenous people, people from the city out to those communities and just listen to the voice of those communities, sit down, talk to the elders, talk to community members, listen to their concerns, and then find out a way out to help those people. And that was one of the reasons why, and, and why we're one of the places we've been.
1: Yeah. And
4: what we've got to do is people that went to those communities are now trying to organise... You know, in their own little groups now, how they can help those communities, uh, not just through delivery of water, but through other ways as well. I mean, through the kids with their education, through health, through housing, all that sort of thing. So hopefully we can get something, you know, some of the community mobile enough to be able to help those, you know, small communities now.
3: And um, with regards to um, Indigenous management of these water systems, I mean, there's probably a, a huge amount of, huge body of knowledge. Uh, is the government listening to you at all on ways of managing uh, the, the water, the river systems, um, with the knowledge that's already here, Indigenous knowledge of water, of water
4: systems? Well, in the past, I think that hasn't happened. But now, you know, government are now starting to listen to First Nation people because our people have lived in the middle of it for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and I believe that First Nations people should be decision-making on our rivers and waterways mm.
1: because
4: they've got the knowledge. You know, they've lived there for, for a very, very long time, and I believe that there should be the decision-making, not just on the rivers, but in their, for the future of their survival on the rivers as well.
3: Absolutely. It's not just the rivers. It's the land management as well, and we, again, are seeing that there doesn't seem to be a lot of consultation, and um, there's a huge body of knowledge with regards to land management there as well. And so, with regards to the other towns, um, you know, how many are close to running out of water, and, and um, is it the same sort of effect that's, uh, that that Walgett's having?
4: Yeah, you well, know, it's not just not just Walgett. There's a lot of little river towns that are affected as well. And you look at Dubbo. In another you know month or so, that'll be out of water. Not just Dubbo. You look at Moori, you look at Tamworth, you look at other places as well. But they're going to run dry as well. So I think. Yeah, it'll affect a lot of our little communities right across the New South Wales. And I think the government needs to start listening and do something about it. Because these communities have got big, big populations. I mean, those are people that's got to suffer.
3: And has um, has the government committed to releasing um, any further allotments of water into the river system? I mean, obviously they they can see the adverse effects that it's already happening. I mean, parts of the river are completely drying up, and there's you know the flow is going down, uh, the fish are dying, there's eutrophication. Have they have they made any commitment to put any water back into the rivers?
4: Well, I don't think they made any true commitment at the moment. I mean, how long, how long we've been talking about? It. When it, yeah. All, it, the fish kills happened in, in December.
1: Mm.
4: We're nearly 12 months down the track. But you look at over the five or six years, you know, that, the Murray Darling Basin Authority that managed our rivers for given 13 million dollars. Yeah. Man, that's just, that's now disappeared. So, uh, um, how much more they're going to throw in there has got to be wasted. All we want is water back into our rivers.
3: Yeah, and it seems that, that uh, most of the water is going to large corporations, um, you know, like Cubby Station, um, to to basically produce products that make a profit for these companies and not actually going back into the community at all. It, it seems ridiculous. So, I mean, it, it, I think it's in part to do with the drought, but it's also the fact that these corporations are being given priorities over the very communities that live alongside these rivers and require the, the, the water for, for life and for living. Um, do you get much traction in, in um, mainstream media? Have you been able to talk to um, media outlets about their predicament?
4: Look, we had lots of, lots of talks with the, with, with the media. We had newspapers and, and, and reporters, and we had you know, filming along the rivers and stuff like that. So a lot of stuff that we've been doing is you know, getting that message out there But I believe, you know, the government is still supporting a lot of the stuff that's happening, especially coverage Station, the big Mm -hmm. dams out there, the big agriculture, the big pumps, people that are pump, big irrigators that are still pumping the waters out. I mean, that's what's got to stop. I think the government's got control of that because they don't want to see them do anything about it because I think, I believe that they want to destroy those little communities. They want to shut down those little communities. But First Nation people don't want to leave their land. They don't want to leave their communities. That's their connection, their connection to the land, and that's you know that's where they lived for thousands of years. And with the First Nation people, it, it affects us because the water brought you know life to the land, and then on the land is, is our survival. We've been sustained for thousands of years. It's created the food for our food, the food source, you know, it's the living conditions. You know, my mum, she camped on the river for, for a long time. She lived on those rivers to camp, she, camped, she had food from those rivers. We can't do that anymore. A lot of the, the knowledge and the, our Dreamtime stories hasn't been passed down, but those, our tradition starts to disappear. And that's what we're trying to regain and bring it all back.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for your work. It, it, it's an absolute travesty, um, you know, that the government can't step in and they don't seem to want to. It's really frustrating, um, you know, here in Victoria, we're, we're quite a fair way away from it, you know, here in Victoria and in the big cities, uh, et cetera, in New South Wales. What can we do, and how can we help you to uh, continue to publicise um, what's happening? You know, can you give us some websites, some contacts, and um, what do we do going forward to support you in your cause?
4: Well, there's a few petitions out there going around. With you know, so get up and sign a petition. We can also get support through our local councils. Uh, start to uh, rally our uh, representatives up, and you know, our prime minister and stuff like that, and people that's in power. And what we've got to do is put pressure on them, and what we're doing now is a uniting front here. You know, not only across New South Wales, but especially in Sydney, a lot of a lot of people that are now starting to come together and start talking about these issues, put pressure on the government. And what we need is, you know, talk to our communities as well, our First Nation people, and start to support them. Get out there, listen to their concerns, listen to their voices, and start advertising some of their stuff. And what we'll do is, and then we we'll start to create our own own representing in our own community and mm-hmm. then that'll you know actually solve some of the problems. and, and we definitely we definitely, definitely need a royal commission you know you yeah. can see that there's some corruption that's going on there you know with the with the government as well and and what's happening with our rivers so and also we need we need to put filters on those taps out of those communities our community needs clean drinking water clean water yeah and
3: A Royal Commission is definitely necessary, yeah. There there definitely has been some evidence of corruption in this whole thing. Yes.
1: Yeah.
3: And, Bruce, we're we're just at the end of the the interview. Can you just give us some... um, Is there anything that we haven't covered? Is there anything that you would like to say just in summary? Yeah,
4: look, I think... I think people need to get out in those rivers and see what's happening in those river towns. They need to see it physically. They need to go there and experience that. And I think we, we as communities, we need to gather together and, and as a uniting front, to take on um, this struggle, take on the battle that we need to go and, and just put pressure on the government and make sure that they do the right thing.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we really appreciate you coming on board and we're going to um, watch your future activities with interest and promote um, you know, getting, re- getting water back into the river and, and um, ensuring the survival of these communities. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, thank, thank you, Bruce. You. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was Bruce Shillingsworth, um, who is a a Water for Rivers activist uh, who is trying to um, get the government to basically put more water back into the systems, uh, you know, which have been the New South Wales River systems that have been absolutely dry, and um, it's a a total disaster in that area.
2: All right. Um, We'll
0: just go move on to a quick announcement, and then we'll go just straight to the activist calendar at 8 a.m.
7: 3 are selling keffiyeh Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours.
0: Good morning listeners you 're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is eight a m and it 's time for the activist calendar so i 'm not sure i don 't think there's actually any political events happening tonight um, or today as far, we get a break <laughs> as far as i know um Oh wait, there is actually gonna be a film screening at the New International Bookshop at seven um at seven PM. If you go to the New International Bookshop, um they're gonna be doing a film screening of some underground kind of films about people fighting against, you know, oppression, etc. And so that's gonna be I don't know the exact date of the film, but there's a film screening at the new international bookshop. Now, the, on Saturday, prote- there'll be a protest, protest Trade Link to stop Adani. Um, trade Link plumbing centres are owned by Fletcher Building, a New Zealand company currently building to supply, bidding to supply key materials for Adani's disastrous coal, coal, Carmichael coal mining. And they'll be at 9am at 344 Set Kilda Road in Melbourne. Um, and then there'll be... a a rally, Stop Turkey's Invasion, Defend um, Rojava, um, happening at 4pm at the State Library, organised by the, um, uh, the um, Kurdish community. Um, they'll be at 4pm at the State Library tomorrow, uh, on Saturday, October the 19th. Then there'll be a fundraiser, West Papua um, Barber um, food, music, film from 5pm, fr- 48 Harrison Street in East Brunswick. Um, bookings are essential. And then on Sunday, October the 20th, there'll be a rally um, to save Moreland's historical trees at Gandalf Gardens. The, the state government plans to shop down 100 trees at Moreland's beautiful green oasis, the Gandalf Gardens, in the Heritage Reserve next to Moreland's train station. And that'll be happening at 2pm at the Gandalf Hill Gardens at 233-239 um, to 239 Moreland Road in Brunswick. Um... On Thursday, um, October the 24th, there'll be a film screening of S11. Um, this is what democracy looks like, um, featuring, um, two speakers, Margarita Windish and Tim Gooden, who were both part of, um, who were both part of the Rinchel S11 blockade. This is a film screening that's been organised in the lead up, um, to the, uh, mark blockade, and it's going to be happening at, on October, it's going to be happening on, so, October the 24th, um, at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street in the city. On Saturday, there'll be a protest, uh, well, actually on Friday, October the 25th, there'll be a pro, uh, a Stop GHD rally, um, at 11.30am outside GHD's office. I haven't got the exact details and address, but it's on Longsdale Street. But if you search up Stop Adani, um, the event should basic should pop up. Um, I'm just, I'll get, just let me quickly get the correct details actually for that. Sorry. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Just get... Oh yeah, sorry, but this, <laughs> oh yeah, here it is. So, GHD rule out Adani. There'll be a Melbourne rally at 11.30am on Friday, October the 20th. Um, at um, 180 Longstown Street. Um, And then there will be a vigil, um, Justice um, for Melody, um, hosted by the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance and various um, Filipino activist groups. This will be about Melody Polana a Filipino-trans woman who was murdered in Wagga Wagga on um, um, 22nd of September. Melody has recently returned home to her family in Surago. May she rest in power. So that'll be happening at 6.30pm at the State Library Friday, October the 25th. Um, and then they'll be, um, celebrating 45 years of Friends of the Earth Australia, um, at 8pm at the Gasometer Hotel. And then from Saturday, 26 of October, there will be um, a rally against um, the re- um, religious discrimin- um, no right to discriminate protest to kill the bills, and that will be happening at 1pm at the state library. Then from 9am to 5pm, there'll be a Blockade Upskill um, organised by Blockade IMARC. It will be a kind of series of workshops and training um, in the lead up to um, Blockade IMARC which is then happening from Monday to 28th of October to um, the 31st of October blockade IMARC 2019 at the Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre with blockading starting from 6am each morning. (laughs) Then there'll be kind of various kind of contingents happening to there. And then I think... Yes, the last event I'll just announce is there'll be the Black Palestinian Solidarity Conference happening from the sixth of November to the seventh, um, to the eighth of November at the University of Melbourne, and then on Saturday, the November the ninth, there'll be a rally Save Menivac, Save Refugee Lives at two p.m. at the State Library on Saturday, November the ninth.
3: Okay, um, so that's it for our activist calendar and um. In the last part of our uh, show, we actually have a guest host, um, so we have Greg McFarlane in the studio. Welcome, Greg.
0: Thank you. Nice to be here. Oh, wait, wait,
3: us hey, Oh, no, put on his microphone. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Um, okay, so yes, Greg. Um, so Greg is down from Sydney. He's visiting from Sydney. Uh, he is a Social Alliance member, and he's also an animal rights activist, and Greg, you're down here for the um, Animal Rights Forum. Can you give us a bit of information about that?
6: It's a, yes, the Animal Activist Forum. It's on this weekend at uh, Melbourne Town Hall. Uh, it's a, a two-day conference and it's, um, it's, about, it's a gathering of uh, people interested in animal rights and, uh, and the activities that they're doing. It's a conversation between the activists to, to advance the cause of, of animals and veganism uh, in Australia.
3: And so, um, Greg, your, your, activism includes humans and non-humans. Um, I, I believe, um, we've had discussions about this where you sort of feel like a, all, a lot of our struggles are very interconnected. And so you, uh, you are someone who also fights for, um, you know, animal rights issues, et cetera. Can you give us a little bit of a background of, you know, what, what led you to this and, and how, how does that sort of fit in with your, your wider activism?
6: Well, I think, um, I mean, a lot of what drives everybody is is that, that we 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 see injustice and suffering and want to end it. What we want want to change the system so that that suffering ends. And uh, animals clearly suffer. I mean, if you have a cat or a dog, you know that uh, that they they can feel pain and pleasure and have um, lots of different emotions. And uh, um, the basic idea is that since, since um, in particular, eating animals is not necessary for human health, um, that, uh, and, and that farming animals causes them suffering, that we should work towards ending any use of animals. Um, most of the use that we, we um, th- um, most of the suffering that occurs to animals is in farmed animals, and so Vegan Australia concentrates on, on that area. Do
3: you want to tell us a little bit about Vegan Australia? I believe you are the president. Is that correct? Uh, director of the vegan director of Vegan, a- vegan yeah, Australia? Yeah. Yeah.
6: Um, yeah. It started about six years ago. That we noticed that uh, um, the Australian government and a number of other governments have inquiries into various topics, whether health, environment, uh, animal use, uh, and there was not really a, a, a vegan voice, uh, an animal um, abolitionist voice, uh, presented to any of those. Um, for example, the um, I think it was a, about ten years ago there was an inquiry into the live export uh, industry the live animal export, and nearly every um, submission into that inquiry uh, and there were a lot um, argued that that um, we should shouldn 't export live animals because it 's cruel, clearly you know what happens on the ships and uh, in slaughterhouses is wrong but None of them said that that uh, animal use and, uh, should be should be stopped. They all said we should kill animals in Australia, and and the view that well that's that's not necessary either that we should um, just uh, end using animals in that way wasn't presented. And so Vegan Australia was started to uh, respond to that to. Um, um, make submissions into those sorts of inquiries, to, to have public campaigns, to um, help in um, in education and, and campaigns, uh, and particularly um, if the media, uh, mainstream media, need a voice um, on a, on a, often, veganism or animal rights comes up, they'll contact us and we can um, represent uh, animals in that way.
3: And um, there's been a lot of action around, um, you know. Uh, altering legislation to make it tougher for activists, uh, to do their thing. Um, you know, we saw with the Dominion, uh, protest and, uh, all of the, um, you know, the ex- Extinction Rebellion protest, et cetera. You know, with with regards to we, here in Melbourne, there was a, a an animal rights activist um, uh, protest where they blocked an intersection and they put up uh, Watch Dominion um, placards, etc. As a consequence of that, in reaction to that, and then also to a lesser degree from from recently in reaction to the Extinction Rebellion um, activity that's happening. Uh, our government seem to be making it tougher. They seem to be making uh, tougher legislation for uh, people to actually protest and get these, this information out. Uh, you know, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that and how do you think that um, we should approach this with regards to the general public?
6: Well, th- those um, ag laws, as they're, as they're generally called, have been uh, coming up uh, in Australia and various parliaments over the last um, several months uh, and... Um, just in the last few months, there's been a lot of inquiries, um, parliamentary inquiries into those that we've um, made submissions to. And um, the, the federal one, um, I noticed, uh, or New South Wales one, there were um, uh, human rights groups saying that these, these laws are not just um, targeting um, animal rights activists, they're, they're targeting Anyone that uh, wants to protest um,
3: I believe it also enc- encompasses um, people who are targeting uh, people uh, like uh, old growth forest wood chippers, et etc, uh, those yeah. sorts of um, active, that sort of activism as well
6: they, they expanded it out they sort of redefined agriculture to mean forestry as well so yeah. um, so this, this case is uh, you know, we're moving towards an american style system where in some states in, in America. Uh, i heard that there was a woman arrested she was outside a farm photographing what was going inside the farm and was arrested for doing that and that's the sort of um um laws that that could come into australia uh, i'm not sure whether the federal law has has uh, started that's mm. that's you that's based on the idea that the the internet is a is a a federal um area uh, it's it's a telecommunications, and so if you um, incite someone to trespass, mm-hmm. then you are, th- I think the, it was a five-year um, jail term for that, which yeah. is more than the trespasser and more than the, the, the cruelty that the farmer might be doing to the animals that, that's being um, uh, exposed. So we, we, we looked at it as a whistleblower, rights. that mm. if, you, if you see something that's going wrong, if you see a, a dog in a car, that's dying because, uh, you know, it's getting hot, you'll smash the window and, and rescue the dog. Mm. But if that's a farmed animal, then then you could be put in jail for You don't for have years. any rights because you, that's
3: you, property and um, you're basically stealing property or trespassing yes, to get yeah. to that property. yeah. And what kind of, like, this is, I mean, I'm just thinking about the wider implications for other activists. Now, if you are able to be jailed and or fined for inciting someone to go and do something on some a property, even though there is a massive injustice that's happening, this could be widened out to the broader activist community as well and another way to, to curb activist actions. Um, you know, how how do we fight against these sorts of things? I mean, because... We, we've got a situation where um, there is a part of the, the general community, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't particularly like vegans, and it's just a knee-jerk reaction. Well, this is the, – they get what they deserve kind of thing. But what they don't understand is there's a whole bunch of broader topics that they might agree with that this now can be applied to with activists in those areas – um, I, I sort of see it as, you know, when we curb the freedoms of one, we curb the freedoms of all. So mm. we've got this situation where you might not like what this person is saying, but look, they, they have a right to protest and they have a right to, to free speech, etc. Um, some of the very same um, people I noticed uh, were saying, um, you know, I can't believe these, um, you know, 100 or so people blocked this intersection for this stupid thing. And then they were cheering on the 30,000 people that came to the pro-union protest a week later. Um, you've got that situation. I, I, I see it as sort of this um, cognitive dissonance. You can't say that this person has a right to protest and this other person doesn't. When you, you know, it do, it doesn't make sense because you, you can't curb the rights of one person mm, mm. if if they're trying to fight an injustice. No, I think that was yeah. that
6: was led by the prime minister and and, and, uh, and ministers. The, mm. the prime minister called during those. Um, um, that action in uh, in april in melbourne the prime minister said that they were green collared criminals and a lot of other politicians said they were terrorists and mm. the term vegan terrorist is now you know um, in the lexicon in the lexicon yes. um the you New can South sit down West and
3: block her and block an intersection now and then you're called a terrorist <laughs> yeah yeah
6: and in that mm. same week as you mentioned there was that union um action and in um a country town. The farmers mm. uh, had a sit in somewhere to um, protest um, some action. And uh, but the only one that the media got uh, up up in arms about was was the one uh, with uh, animal rights activists um, causing a stoppage. Why so do you th-
3: think that is? Like, what, what what do you think the reasoning behind that is?
6: It seems that um, the government is. Um, large well you know the the, the nationals is, is a big part of the coalition and their, their um, main supporters are, are big business big business uh, agriculture um, industries and uh, animal agriculture industries and they don't want to see their profits harmed and they they can see that there's um that there's a problem for them like the 99 um, of australians say that they're against animal cruelty and yet these films like Dominion are coming out saying, well, this is exactly what happens in standard agricultural practices. That, and that this stuff a lot happens stuff, here in
3: Australia, doesn't it? This is the sort of practices that we have. It's not outside in a it's, different country. It's all current uh, all current, current
6: footage in the last few years, all in Australia. And it's all standard practices. So it's not picking out particularly cruel um, behaviours. Um, you know, the, these procedures that are done on animals without anaesthetic is, is standard practice. Um and uh, yeah, and the, the criticism that oh that happens overseas is is you know is invalid. It ha- happens here as well.
3: And you're a, you're a socialist like myself. Um, how do you see uh, capitalism? There was a, we had a, another um, lady, Mary Merkinich, on the on mm. the show who wrote an article about uh, capitalism and the exploitation of animals. How what do you see? You know, with regards to capitalism, how do you see that with regards to animal systems and the exploitation of animals? They're, they're, well,
6: they're, they're commodified So um, uh, I think a, a new term that I use now Instead of farm farm animals or farmed animals Is com- commodified animals mm. And so they, they then become Because commodified
3: animals are also pets Yes so, You yeah. know, pets are sold for money as yeah, well yeah. They're a commodity Yeah,
6: so they're, they're turned into a product And yeah. what the... Um, it's like if you have a TV Then you decide how to produce it um, uh, Or the, the the business owner um, and and what to do with it, and there's no um, the suffering of that TV or that animal it just doesn't come into it. It's, if there are laws against um, um, cruelty, but they're not actually applicable to, to um, the animal agriculture industries. There's all sorts I think of that, um, outs. agricultural
3: animals are, are seen differently. They don't have the same uh, cruelty, anti-cruelty laws as uh, pets and mm. non-agricultural they're, animals.
6: I think yeah. essentially they're the same, except that there's this out that says if it's a standard agricultural practice, then that's allowed. And so if it's been going on for, you know, years, then it can continue to go on, no matter how exposed it is. So we need to change, uh, change the, the mm. attitude towards animals by, uh, amongst people, get rid of the property status, so that if you own an animal, you can, you can do with it what you like, essentially. Um, but uh, just on, on uh, the note of, of laws, uh, I noticed, I think it was yesterday, the uh, ag law in Victoria was um, um, thrown out of parliament, or it lost it lost oh. the vote in Parliament. Oh, um, well, that's great news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was, um, I think, Andy Medic, who's uh, an Animal Justice Party um, MP, led that. There was a lot of public criticism of that law mm. um, from um, journalists and, and um, uh, legal rights people as well as uh, animal activists and, and activists in general.
3: I think... um What we have at the moment is a a broad situation where we have whistleblowers, you know, people who expose uh, industries, they expose governments, um, you know, for for disgusting behaviour, they expose corporations, etc. But what we have at the moment is a culture where the whistleblower, we have a culture of shoot the messenger. The Mm. whistleblower is the one that's seen as the problem. And whether that be, um, you know, with our gag laws, whether that be with things like Julian Assange, with... um, you know, basically punishing the whistleblower for highlighting gross issues that are happening, um, and we we seem to have this situation where it doesn't matter what the issue is, if you highlight it, you are in the wrong. And that seems to be what we have with animal activists as well. You know, going in and, and capturing footage of what exactly is happening. The same sort of thing with people who are exposing, you know, um, you know what the Australian government has done in in um, various countries. Um, you know. Has this, is this a long-standing thing? How can we fight against this? Because we we have the same thing with the environment. Environmental activists are whistleblowers, basically, trying to uh, get the government to do something about this gross negligence that's been happening across the world, and yet they're the ones that are being punished. It's like punishing the fire alarm when your house is on fire exactly. and the fire alarm is yeah. going off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how do you think we can fight back against this? I mean, do we have to change? Do we have to force the government to do something about it? Do we have to change societal views of whistleblowers? What do we need to do?
6: Well, I think the governments are, are definitely behind it, and, and the businesses behind them. They've been um, anything that upsets the status quo is, is a, a problem to them, and they'll um, they'll fight against it as much as they can. And it seems to be getting worse. You know, with governments around the world, there's more and more right-wing um, yeah. governments. Uh, and uh, it baffles me sometimes how. How people can be so um so negative and so 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 self centered and greedy um, uh and and how that plays out in in life affecting ways you know, um in in causes you know across the, across the spectrum that the individual people and, and animals suffer so much and yet the um the governments seem to and and the people that back them seem to be just don't care about it it's uh, it's we need we need And I think what's happening in the environment movement and uh, now more in animal movement is is people need to um, get out there and and, uh, um, protest to to say what's going on uh, and and try and change the public's attitude. The the media is also, the mass media is, is part of it. No, yeah, part of the problem. Yeah, <laughs> you've seen you've seen the reportage yep. of of the Daily Telegraph and um, newspapers like that against um, the vegan terrorists. It's mm. it's in every headline. Um, so. There are other ways to get the message out that uh, luckily we don't have to use the Daily Telegraph to No, we can use places that.
3: like you know, 3CR exactly, to, yes. to get our independent yeah, voice yeah. out. This is why yeah. radio stations like 3CR are so important. Yeah, we are yeah. not mainstream media. We do not have corporate interests. And I think um, it's also... You know, with this whole wider capitalist thing, I mean, capitalism is inherently exploitative. And so when you have these exploitative systems in place, it's very hard to look outside of those systems and say there is another way. We mm. can use, use, you know, things. We can, we can have a resource, um, you know, based economy without exploitation and without harming the animals and harming the planet and, you know, harming humans. Um, yeah. Yeah.
6: I mean, it's, it's, in a sense, it's quite, Easy to think of a system that, that where that would that you know, mm. things would be a lot better. Um, that there, there's just vested interest against it. Um, very powerful yeah. ones. Yeah.
3: Very powerful vested mm. interests. Unfortunately, those powerful vested interests have a very strong hold on government bodies all around the world. Yeah, and yeah. we just have to fight as people against that um, in every way we, that we can we can see. Yeah.
6: Um, the talk I'm giving on Sunday at the Animal Activist Forum uh, looks at some questions about how big the animal agriculture industry is. And, and often people will think it's, it's massive, that you know, there's so many jobs involved, uh, the economy mm-hmm. would collapse if, if we did anything about it. And uh, all the statistics, government statistics from the Australian Bureau of Statistics says that the, the animal agriculture industry is only 1.2% of the uh, industry. It's one of the smallest industries in Australia. That's surprising. The only, the only one smaller than it is the arts industry. Which is not surprising, you know. Um, but education, um, manufacturing, mining—they're all bigger than than it. And the same for employment. About 1.2% of Australian employment is through the animal agriculture industry. So often we'll hear people say that um, uh, we, we, you know, we can't get rid of animals from agriculture. It'll destroy the economy. It'll destroy jobs. Uh, if we had the, the 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 heart to to change things, we could do it without any impact on employment we, we could reallocate uh, jobs to, to um, restoration of the, the rangelands um, uh, um, carbon farming all sorts of other industries mm. that we could use that land for
3: carbon drawdown technology yeah. that we desperately need and yeah. if we get rid of that kind of industry as well it gets rid of a lot of carbon production into the atmosphere so that's yeah, another yeah. thing as well, well over half yeah. of
6: the Australian landmass is used to grow animals like okay. that includes wow. most of that is grazing yeah. land. Yeah. Um, uh, a little bit is, gra- is, is crops that are fed to animals. Mm-hmm. Like n- most, 90% of the food fed to, to chickens and pigs is, is plant food. You no, know, it's grown, it could easily be um, fed to, to humans. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea that, that if to we cut out that middleman, if we didn't eat animal protein, we'd all starve. In fact, um, uh, animals in Australia eat twice as much grain as the humans do it 's wow. surprising do you how, not know that statistic <laughs> how, how damaging it is yeah. to the environment um, there 's good evidence to say that animal agriculture causes over half the greenhouse gas emissions if, if you look at it over a twenty year time scale which, mm. which bumps up the the impact of methane um, it 's it's, if we to tackle climate change, we need to solve both the fossil fuels and the animal agriculture industries. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's it's a highly damaging industry, uh, and it doesn't really contribute much. It Doesn't contribute mm-hmm. much food or employment or, or or the economy.
3: We don't hear a lot about this in mainstream media either. I guess there's a lot of vested interests that you know have a oh, best yes. interest in stopping mm, you from mm, talking about this mm. sort of stuff. I mean, it's, a, it's a, quite a, a unique perspective. Um, so many people in our community are very wedded to the way that they eat and the way that they use animals, et cetera. Mm, mm. Um, it's, very, it's quite a lot of food for thought, I guess. Um, so we're, kind of, we're heading towards the end of our show at the moment. Is there mm. anything that you might want to say sort of in, in um, as a final thing, like anything that we haven't covered, et cetera?
6: Um, well, um, our website's veganaustralia.org.au. There's lots of news on there. Um, we were talking about water earlier. Um, yes. There's, uh, if you go to veganaustralia.org.au/slash-water, there's uh, there's a lot of information there about how how much water is used to grow animal products. Um, it can be um, ten or more times the amount of water goes into to beef and sheep and pork than than um, lentils and uh, chickpeas and things like that, even rice, which often has a bad name. Yeah, it gets is, a bad rap, yeah. but it's
3: less than um, beef, yes, et cetera. Yes, yeah. yeah, beef is huge. Yeah.
6: Um, um, so there's, on environmental grounds, um, is, I think the argument is clear. It's quite objective. I think there's also, um, from my point of view, a very good um, case to include animals in our circle of compassion, that it's not just humans that we should uh, look after, but but animals. And we should fight for for animals as well.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much, Greg, for that unique perspective. Um, And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, You're listening to uh, Green Left Radio. We are about to wrap up and uh, we are now going on to Beyond Zero. Stick around. I'm sure they've got lots of interesting things to say.
0: Yeah, and tune in for next week.
3: Absolutely
2: this brings us to the end of the show you have been listening to friday morning breakfast with green left radio brought to you by the green left weekly newspaper which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first if you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.com Dot or call one 634 206 For new subscribers, it is only ten dollars for the first six issues. Three pieces of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned in to 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3CR.org.au. To start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now?